Thursday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. They have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions whatsoever, it's all about educating yourself on these products and their health benefits. So don't don't hesitate to give them a call, 405-458-9699. Plus, we are saving you 15% off when you order online so visit abotanicalcompany.com, order online, use the discount code Colby Show, and save 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, it's Thursday. Every Thursday, Will Brewer and I talk UFC. We've got UFC 260 pay-per-view on Saturday night. The main event, Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title. This is going to be a blockbuster. If, if you're not familiar with these guys or uh, maybe you're marginally familiar with these guys, Stipe is the most decorated heavyweight champion of all time. And Francis Ngannou is probably the scariest heavyweight of all time. In fact, his last eight wins have all been first-round finishes. His last four wins have been, I think the longest is like a minute, 11 seconds. So uh, this is going to be an awesome fight. It's going to be an intense fight. It's a rematch of a fight that took place in 2018 that Stipe won. So uh, I'm really excited about this, but we're going to talk about all of the latest news, last week's card, and then make our picks for UFC 260 with my guest, Will Brewer. Will Brewer, what's happening today? Uh, before you answer that, let me just say this. <laughs> I wanted to open with this, but I'm just so used to just asking you how you're doing. Um, so after we did the show last week, for like two days, dude, I was just cracking up about how fired up you got over the ending of the kingdom. Like randomly, I would just think about your rant and like it would just like crack me up, dude. So anyway... Thank you for the amusement for like 48 hours after we finished recording last week. Man, uh, why don't you have to remind me about that? I, I swear, <laughs> my, week was going, my week was going so well. It's Wednesday, hump day. We're on the uh, better part of, the, of this week. And then you want to remind me about Kingdom. Ah, uh, just, man. I don't even want to go into the meltdown again because I, like, I feel it coming on, Kobe. I feel it. But you know what? We're going to hold off. Fight it. Fight it. <laughs> yeah. It's, hey, it's a pay-per-view week. So, you know what? You can't let stuff like that get you down. It's a pay-per-view exactly. week. Exactly. I'm going to put all that pent-up energy and frustration that I had, and I'm going to put it into this week, into this uh, fight card. I'm going to put it into this pod. So, let's go. Very nice. I'm Very ready. Nice. I'm fired up now, Kobe. All right. You did that on purpose. I did. I, I did. I'm, I'm trying doing. to throw you off your game a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, uh, I still have the lead, by the way, and we'll get to the points in a minute, but uh, it's – by a very slim margin, so I'm, I'm using any tactics I can use to, to try and throw you off. Um, all right, before we get to last week's card and then give our picks for UFC 260, we had some huge announcements over the last week uh, outside the Octagon, and really, I guess the best place to start is Dana White finally accepting that Habib Nurmagomedov is retired. He is not coming back. Uh, we all knew that. I don't think any of us really thought especially after Connor lost to Dustin, that there was any chance he was coming back. Dana has finally given in, given up the pursuit of getting Habib back in the octagon. So no more Habib Nurmagomedov. He is done. 155 is officially open for business. Yeah, and I saw the headlines that say Khabib officially announces retirement, and I'm like, no, Khabib announced his retirement back in October. This is just Dana White finally waving the white flag like, all right, man. He literally said it in his post, 29 and no it is. Like, yeah. there's nothing else that he could do, I mean, with 
with Connor and Dustin, with Dustin beating Connor, I mean, there was basically nothing, no leverage that Dana had. There was no, no fight that could uh, get could be about a retirement. And uh, Dana finally just threw in the town, man. Uh, I mean, with with a guy like could be someone who's uh, so strong with his religion and family and everything, when he said it like that, like he told when he talked about his parents and everything, like you knew, like. There's no way that this guy's coming back, yeah. at least for the foreseeable future. So, I, I mean, I don't think you can rule out the possibility of him coming back ever. But uh, for now, yeah, it's, it, it's done for him for now. I think legacy is too important to him. I don't think we'll ever see him in the octagon again. Because here's the thing. If he takes considerable time off, I don't think he's going to feel like he's at his very best to want to risk the 29-0. and 0. Yeah, that's true. But see, with me, I, f I just feel like, you know, GSP came back for that one fight. Um, I, if there's a fight that's big enough, and, and granted, GSP came out and came back for a fight which he felt pretty confident that he could win. Yeah. I feel like uh, if, it's a, if it's just the right situation for Khabib, we could see him again. Or, you know, maybe if someone like uh, beats Islam and then calls him out and talks about his country or something outrageous like that. Maybe we'll get him back, but you know, it's gonna say something outrageous, something wild for Khabib to come back. It can't just be like Charles Oliveira wins the title and defends it five times. I don't right. think that's even gonna get Khabib out of retirement. So I don't either. It's gonna take something crazy. Unfortunately, this is something we all knew, like you said, back in October, and the best division in the sport has been in a in a waiting game because Dana has refused to acknowledge this. And look, if, if I'm being honest, I think the champion today should be Dustin Poirier. Now, where this thing gets crazy is because I think Dustin Poirier has the first right of refusal for a title fight. You have to go through him first. Dustin Poirier is choosing the money right now. He's choosing the Connor Trilogy fight, which is a much bigger paycheck than fighting anybody else they could throw him in that division, whether a belt's on the line or not. So, I mean, look, they, these guys do this to make a living. Dustin is choosing to, to provide for his family, to make the money while he can make the money. So I, I don't fault him for that whatsoever, but I, I do think that it's a little bit crazy that they had the opportunity to put that belt on the line when Dustin and Connor fought the first time. And now you have a guy that is absolutely deserving to be the champion of this division, but because you just wanted to, to try and talk Habib into coming back, now you've got this guy that's in a, in a bad situation where he, you know, you're making him choose between title and, and paycheck. And I can't fault the guy for choosing paycheck. Absolutely. I can't fault him either. I mean, you're right. Uh, Dustin and Connor could have easily been for the championship. I mean, Khabib announced his retirement in October. That fight happened in January. But Dana still, you know, I guess he's just so headstrong and just so uh, – he was so committed. Like, you know, I can get Khabib out of retirement. Like, he, he was, you know, had a whole bunch of emotions. And he went through a lot of injuries and with the, everything with his father. He, he thought that he was just making a, a choice that was just, you know, outrageous for the time. But Khabib stood pat. Like, he was like, no, man, like, really, I'm done. Like, there's nothing that you can say that's going to get me out. And no matter how many times that they went to dinner, you know, every press conference, oh, yeah, me and Khabib are going to dinner. Oh, me and Khabib are doing this. And just the same thing, like, Khabib's still not coming back, like, every single time. And, you know, through that time, he could have just been like, all right, man, we got a big fight at the beginning of the year. We're going to make this for the, for the Vegas title. 
But now you you wait a few more months and then it just kind of puts the division on even more of a hold. You know, so many guys at the top of the division wanting that title shot. Dustin's been in been in this game for for a long time. Like we've seen him uh, in fighting at 145 and then all the way at 155. We see him start from the bottom, work his way up. Um, he deserves these these paychecks that he's that he's chasing. Yeah. I mean, he's been interim champion. He's had big title fights. He's done been there, done that. But has he fought someone like Connor, a big superstar, and then gotten a payday? He did that, but he's got a chance to do it again. So if I'm Dustin, I'm taking the paycheck too. And then I feel like if he if he's confident in himself, which I'm sure he is, if he wins that fight, that title shot is it's right there still. He can still get the title shot while being uh, two million dollars richer. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, I think it's the best-case scenario for Dustin. Well, here's what you have to hope doesn't backfire. That deal's not done yet, and I I think everybody kind of expected that that thing was going to get done and we were going to have a date, and I think a lot of people were pointing pointing toward sometime in July. It's still an unknown. I mean, what what if this thing doesn't completely materialize, and then you have a title fight at 155 and Dustin Poirier still... Like waiting on what's next, and and he misses out on on both the paycheck and the belt. I mean, that would be a god awful situation. I think if he misses out on Connor, he just has to transition right to the title. I think he just waits uh, for the winner of Oliveira and uh, Chandler, and then just says like, "All right, I'm I'm fighting whoever's next." But I feel like um, they're gonna get this done. I mean, both both guys want the want the fight. Yeah. I don't know if it's just a matter of. Uh, win or if there's going to be fans like you, you don't know what how the negotiations are taking place or if it's money or whatever the case is I think when you have two guys that want the fight two big superstars like these two guys I mean you just everything else will kind of just figure itself out and uh just my only hope for Dustin is that it doesn't just take too long I mean for both guys really because both because Connor says he wants reps uh Dustin deserves these big fights so you hope it gets done sooner rather than later yeah so where that leaves us is a lightweight title match between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler comes into the UFC, makes his UFC debut, knocks out Dan Hooker in the first round, and immediately jumps the entire line of killers at 155 <laughs> and gets his title shot. Look, I think this is a great fight. It, it makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I think you can make the argument maybe for Justin Gaethje to be in this situation, and it kind of sounds, based on Justin Gaethje's Twitter, like he was expected to fight Michael Chandler. We we can both agree that regardless, Poirier and Oliveira seem like collectively the two most deserving participants of a title fight. So uh, there were a lot of ways they could have gone with this. I like this fight. I think it's a good fight. I have no problem with this being the title fight, and I think we're going to see a hell of a fight. Uh, I'm with you. I'm, I'm very intrigued by this fight. This is uh, one of those matchups that in the lightweight division where you're just like, ooh, like that's, that's a good matchup. I mean, on paper they match up well, and then just uh, the styles, man. You know that it's going to be a very entertaining fight whenever Chandler gets out there, and Oliveira's looked so good. He's he looks like he's gotten so much better in the past two years, and and he deserves his title shot. He's been in the company a long time, and he's worked his way to this spot. But I will say, uh, when I saw uh, when I saw that this was the fight, I was pretty shocked because, well, one, I thought 
if Khabib is uh, retired, then I thought for sure Dustin and Connor was going to be for the title, or at least Dustin was going to be in the title fight. With Dustin, with with them ad, probably asking Dustin if he wanted the title fight, and he's saying, you know, I I would rather fight Connor and get the paychecks. Okay, I thought that the easy thing to do, like the clear thing to do, they were already talking about Gaethje and Chandler fighting uh, soon, right? So I thought. Easily, you could just put that for the title. Like, how crazy of a fight would that be with Gaethje and Chandler? Gaethje was the interim champion. He fought the undisputed champion, lost. The undisputed champion retires. So I, I thought it's pretty yeah. easy just to go back to Gaethje. But you can't deny Charles Oliveira the title fight. Right. But then on on that front, Michael Chandler, he came to the UFC and he did everything the UFC asked him to do. So I think. Chandler just being a guy that's always said yes to anything that Dana asked him, being the backup fighter, fighting Dan Hooker, uh, one to uh, step in on short notice to fight Charles Oliveira in February. Michael Chandler was always available. He was always ready to fight. So I think just with that, um, he got the title fight with that. And then looking so good against Hooker. But, you know, I'm not mad at this time, at this fight with uh, Oliveira and Chandler. I think it's very intriguing, but... We we said like someone's gonna get royally screwed. I yeah. don't know if 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 you really call what happened to Gaethje like screwed per se, but someone was gonna get left out, and I thought for sure it was gonna be Oliveira, but it happened to be Gaethje. Yeah. Well, look again when you remove Poirier from the equation, that means we're talking about three guys basically. It's Oliveira, it's Gaethje, and it's Chandler. And there are a few ways to look at this. The first is of those three guys. What's the best matchup in my mind? Well, that's Gaethje and Chandler. Gaethje and Chandler, I think, would give us the best fight of any of those possible combinations. But I don't think you could make that for the title and tell Charles Oliveira, hey, we appreciate everything you've done, and you just, (laughs) I mean, had your way with Tony Ferguson, who's been, you know, one of the elites of this division forever. Uh, You're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Like, that, I I don't think that would have been reasonable whatsoever. So I think... Oliveira has to be one of the two. So immediately, you have to take out the the best matchup from the equation because Oliveira needs to be involved. And then it becomes a debate whether it's Chandler or Gaethje. And look, I, I would say this. Chandler has one win in the UFC. I know he's a champion in another uh, in another place. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's obviously one of the most elite 155ers on planet Earth. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But in a division where, again, all of these guys are killers, and this entire, I mean, top 15 is a, a who's who. I mean, it is for Justin Gaethje to have gone through the line that he went through to get that opportunity, and then he loses to Khabib, and now he's retired, to have a guy come in and fight one guy that wasn't even a top five guy in that division and immediately get the title shot, like... If you, if you tell me that Justin Gaethje has a problem with that and he's upset about that, I totally get it. Again, that said, I love the Chandler fight. I think Chandler is one of the top two, three, four lightweights on planet Earth, and I think that's going to be an awesome fight. And I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't believe Michael Chandler won't be the, the champion at the end of that night. He very well could be the lightweight champion after that fight. So, um, again, I think he's absolutely deserving and his skills – warrant him being in that fight, but if you make the argument for Gaethje over Chandler, I, I you know, I, I don't really have an argument against that other than, I guess, 
Gaethje's coming off a loss, like that would be the only thing that I think you could hold against him. Yeah, and I guess um, all losses are created the same, I guess, because that loss that Gaethje has is to the man, you know, Khabib, you know, the undisputed champion. Right. And, you know, I just thought, like, you know, him being the interim champion and then, like, if Khabib would have retired before they fought, like, Gaethje would have been the undisputed champion. But I guess, you know, him taking that loss, you know, I guess maybe they feel like he has to get a win. But I wonder if, you know, Gaethje, Gaethje has said on some interviews that he needs like eight to 10 weeks to prepare for, for fights. Right. So I wonder if that's kind of come back to bite him a little bit, because Chandler's always been a guy that's been like, okay, I'll fight this guy. uh, As long as he's, you know, top two or three in the world, you know, whatever I want to get to the title fight. So whatever I got, I have to do to get there, just tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. So I feel like that probably worked in Chandler's favor where, where Gaethje, he doesn't. He didn't like taking those short notice fights. Like he, he took that Tony Ferguson fight uh, at the beginning of the of the pandemic. He took that fight. He didn't want to. He wanted more time. Uh, he was, but he was going to do it because there was a title on the line. But you know, and it was his best performance he, of his career. It, the, yeah, best yeah. performance of his career. And but now he's saying in interviews like, I, I didn't like this short notice stuff. I want to. I, I need eight to ten weeks. So if I'm the UFC and I'm like, okay, well. I mean, we can ask Gaethje, but we know what he's going to say. He's going to say that he needs eight weeks. And uh, if we're – this pay-per-view is, pro, is is in May. I don't know off the top of my head how far away that is, but the, I'm, I assume that's probably, what, six, seven weeks away. So they probably were like, well, well I mean, we could ask Gaethje, but we, we know what he's going to say. So uh, if, we ask Ch- if we ask Michael Chandler, we know that he's game. We know that he's going to love getting this title shot. So yeah. maybe that's what it was. And it was just probably an easy uh, – just go to Chandler and go to Oliveira and let's have this fight. Yeah. I, it's Again, it's an interesting division. Uh, we've got Tony Ferguson, Benil Dariush coming up in that division. Um, I mean, that, you know, again, it's we talk about this every week. Like, we talk about the guys in that division that aren't even ranked and how good those guys are. I, I just wonder what happens to Justin Gaethje next because Poirier wins. He's obviously the guy. I mean, Poirier gets his title shot whenever he wants, um, you know, barring a loss somewhere along the way. Here's the other thing to think about. Let's say Conor McGregor wins that. It's not as though Conor Conor McGregor's star is so big, he's only one win away from ever being right back in the conversation for a title. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's not maybe a fair thing, but he's Conor McGregor. He's the biggest draw in the sport, and... He beats Dustin Poirier and avenges that loss. He's right. He's right there, and I'm not. I'm not sure that they're not going to say Conor McGregor's not next. So, yeah, I think Justin Gaethje's in an interesting situation. Yeah, absolutely. He's in. A, he's definitely in an interesting situation. Just think, man. I mean, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler. They're like for the hardcore fans. We would know who these guys are. We both know they're very deserving, right? But for the casual fans, like they probably they probably know about Michael Chandler a little bit because of uh, everything that he did uh, uh, fighting on the Conor McGregor card. Oliveira, you know, I don't know how much, you know, the casual fans will know him. So one of these guys win, I'm sure that the UFC is going to want to have the biggest, the biggest fights possible as far as, as far as pay-per-views and everything. So if Conor McGregor beats Dustin Poirier, I am 100% sure 
that Conor McGregor is going to jump the line and Danny's going to be like, oh, yeah, he looks incredible tonight. And, yeah, I feel like Conor McGregor is right back in the title mix. Especially I think if Michael Chandler is the champion. Absolutely. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, because that style, you know, styles make fights, as they say. Right. And, I mean, Chandler and Conor McGregor, that would be an incredible fight. So, uh, And it, it would sell crazy just because of the Conor factor. But also, that's just a crazy fight. So, uh, yeah. I mean, with all this being said, man, yeah, Gaethje's in a he's in a tough spot, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, again, I, I love that division. We both love that division. It's going to be fun to watch it uh, play out, and and hopefully, uh, you know, Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor get their thing done. Hopefully, Justin Gaethje finds a dance partner somewhere along the way. And you know, as I mentioned, Darius and, and Tony Ferguson have a fight coming up. Uh, I haven't I haven't heard what the next plan for Islam is necessarily, but. Um, is there, am I missing something? Has, has there been any, any movement on, on Islam's next move? Because look, after that went over Drew Dober, I, I'm not so sure that he doesn't deserve somebody in the top five. Absolutely. Islam, I don't think, uh, there's been, uh, any talks with Islam because I think, um, uh, there's that Ramadan stuff coming up. I don't know when exactly that is, but uh, I think it's coming up soon and, uh, Islam can't fight for a little bit. So. I think the next time he'll, he'd even be able to fight is in the fall. Uh, so maybe that works out best for uh, for some of these guys at the top to, to you know not have to fight Islam because, you know, that guy. Yeah. I think if you fight Islam at this point, you know, you're <laughs> you're going to get derailed. So here's yeah. here's a quick headline before we move on to uh, to 135. Uh, from SB Nation, if he can't get RDA, Islam would love Justin Gaethje. So, sounds like it's uh, RDA or Gaethje. Yeah, and with, with Gaethje not having someone, I can definitely see that happening, man. And RDA's got an uh, injury, so, you know, maybe Gaethje's the one that's going to step in and fight Islam. That would be a crazy fight because imagine Gaethje stuffing all the takedowns and forcing Islam to stand with him. That would be insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, the leg kicks, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, Khabib. I mean, let let's let's be real. Justin was was tagging Khabib with those leg kicks, but Khabib was just so strong minded that he was just like, "Fuck it, right. all right, I'll take these right. leg kicks. I'm just gonna keep. I'm just gonna keep going forward. I don't give a shit." Yeah. Like, and then he ended up taking them down. But well, and I think when when Khabib to... finally took more than he was willing to take, he had had enough and said, "I'm gonna if I have to eat some punches to get in there, I'm going." And it's I'm just you know I'm done with the leg kicks, and he went in and took him down. So yeah, at some point you just get fed up with it. You're like, okay, no more, enough damage. I'm yeah. I'm shooting in, and if you hit me, you hit me. But you're not gonna just pick yeah. me apart. Especially with leg kicks from Gaethje, because you can just tell he puts oh, everything yeah. into those leg kicks. Yeah. His leg kicks are so nasty. But Khabib, it didn't look like, I mean, it was affecting him at all. He would just take these kicks and just oh, yeah. continue just, just moving right. forward. like Just like a machine, like, right? It's like the Terminator. Yeah, like you're machine. just like shooting everything in the arsenal at him, and he just keeps walking forward. And you're like, good Lord. And it's like, damn, what the fuck else <laughs> do I got to do to him? Like, jeez. So I don't know if Islam is that as strong-minded as could be, but if he if he is, I mean, maybe Gaethje's going to be in trouble. But if yeah. he's not, man, and he's forced to stand with him, that's going to be crazy to see. All right, a, a couple more announcements. Uh, Bantamweight 135. This is, I think, probably my second favorite division currently in the sport. It is so loaded. It's so deep. Uh, major announcements. Okay, first we have Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt fighting at 135, which I love that matchup. Uh, that's going to be a great fight. 
Rob Font has looked terrific, by the way. And uh, Garbrandt certainly has some rejuvenation in, in his career. And then I think the blockbuster of this division right now. Obviously, we're going to have a rematch for the title. Aljamain Sterling, Pewter Yawn, they're going to they're gonna redo it. It'll all be taken care of. But I think the next guy in line, you would imagine, has to be the winner of TJ Dillashaw and Corey Sanhagen. This is the fight. You texted me this when it was announced last week, and I was like, that's the fight. I mean, this... <laughs> You have a former champion, and you have a guy who I, I think right now, like if if you made me pick one guy in one at one thirty five that I felt like was going to be the best of them all, I think I, I'd probably go Sanhagen, uh, even even above the two guys they're going to fight for the belt uh, with with Yon and Sterling. And I know Sterling beat him not too long ago, but he just is on a tear right now. I love this fight. Dillashaw Sanhagen is just a badass fight. Yeah, man, I remember uh, I was watching an NCAA tournament game. I was trying to stay uh, engaged with it, but then the news just started coming up. And I remember it was a it was a commercial, and I saw the first fight. Like literally, this news just started coming like piece by piece. First, it was uh, Rob and Cody. I was like, "Ooh, that's a really good fight." So I texted you that, and you were like, "Oh shit, that's a good fight." But when I texted you about Sanhagen Dillashaw, like. The, you were like, oh, like, this is the fight. This one is it. That is the fight. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, man. Like, like, like you said, Sanhagen's probably the best of the bunch. But, you know, before, you know, TJ's suspension, man, like, TJ at 135, like, there was probably no one who you could say, like, was going to give him uh, any type of a challenge. But now that he's been gone, like, the division is caught up. And, like, there's so many guys who are skilled, you know, Sanhagen, yeah. Aljo. And then you got, like, guys like Jose Aldo and Frankie that's coming down. Cody Garbrandt coming back into form. Rob Font's up there. Like, Marlon Marais, he's lost two in a row, but he's still up there. Like, there's so many guys. Uh, this division is loaded. But, you know, just the styles of uh, Sanhagen and Dillashaw. And then there's so many questions. Like, uh, these two guys train together. Um, a lot of people say that Sanhagen would get the better of it. Um, and then, you know, how's TJ going to look after two years off? Like, uh, has he added things to the tank? Like, is he going to, uh, be, uh, is there going to be any ring rust? So, you know, there's so many questions, but you know, this is the true fight that has to happen to determine who's the next number one contender. There's, there's no other guys that who I would rather see in that spot. Uh, these two guys definitely deserve it. TJ, the former champion, Corey has been on a tear, uh, lately, um, I can't wait for him, man. It's going to be yeah. crazy. Well, look, I think Corey Sanhagen was clearly the guy waiting, but because of the fact that we had the DQ and you have to do the rematch and, you know, that fight has to happen again, he kind of loses his place in line, right? Like, he's waiting for that fight. On that night, he's sitting on his couch watching that fight, knowing that whoever wins that is his next opponent, and then it, it ends the way that it does, and all of a sudden those guys have to fight again, and so you're without a, you know, a dance partner, and yeah, this this fight makes all the sense in the world. It's it's an awesome fight. Dillashaw wins this. I mean, he's you know immediately right back in the conversation. Uh, and then you know for for Corey Sanhagen, it's it's just it's another legit opponent. I, I heard him on a podcast uh, not too long ago, and he he was talking about like you know the the rise in in fighting and how you you know you're getting better and better opponents and better opponents. And he's like, you get to this point where like literally you just think to yourself like. I'm never going to fight a bad fighter again in my life. 
Like, I'm never going to have an, another easy fight in my life. Like, every dude that I fight for the rest of my career is going to be, like, a legit killer. That's the level that he's reached. And, uh, that, that I mean, that's the case, right? Like, you don't get the title shot, so here you go. Here's TJ Dillashaw now. Yeah, man. You climb up the ranks like Corey has. You showed the incredible skill that he has. And not only that, but you're knocking guys out. Uh, people who you don't really see get knocked out, like Frank Yeager, uh, Marlon Marais, you know, these guys aren't getting knocked out until they fight uh, Corey Sandhagen. And, you know, he doesn't come off as a guy who's a who's a just a violent killer. You know, he just kind of seems really relaxed, really calm. But when he goes in there, he's he's taking these guys out. Um, you know, he had that slip up with Sterling, but I think it just uh, woke something inside of him. That's just I mean, it, it just brought out another type of beast in him. And. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, now he's going to be fighting killers the rest of his career. And he's still pretty young in his, in his career. So for the next at least five, seven, uh, seven fights, he's going to be fighting the absolute best guys, no matter if he loses, because this division is so loaded. Like, you go down uh, a tier in this division, and then you're getting guys like Aldo and Edgar, Marais. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be fighting killers. And then uh, – if you go, if, if you if you lose and you go even further, you got um, uh, Marab. That's his yeah, name, right? Yeah, Marab. Yeah, yeah, Marab. You got him, and then you got like um, Adrian Yanez. Like, like there's nothing, like there's just nothing but killers in that yeah. division. And you know, Corey understands that, but you know, he's got T.J. Dillashaw, who's who is the best of the bunch for for years, and uh, I think. Corey represents the evolution of the sport, but we'll see if TJ uh, still has it. Yeah, yeah, awesome fight. Uh, that that again, that division is is just loaded. And uh, look, we got we've got a big one in that uh, in that division with uh, Sean O'Malley making his return in UFC 260. All right, so rewinding last week to UFC Fight Night, Brunson Holland. The main event, Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland goes 5-0 in 2020. He's, I mean, the fighter of the year for a lot of people. Uh, what he did last year was exceptional. The the knockout over Jacare was just kind of the cherry on the whole thing, right? Like, it was just the perfect finale to what he accomplished in 2020. He gets his opportunity against a ranked opponent, and it went horribly well. I, I This was such a disappointing fight in so many ways. And look, for me, I think the number one thing that was disappointing about it was just that it, it almost, it felt like Kevin Holland was almost like playing a character of himself. Like it it didn't even, like I know he's a trash talker and he likes to have fun and all of that. Like I get all that. And we've watched him do that for fight after fight after fight. This felt like it was something different. This felt like because he was now getting so much more spotlight than he was before that he was playing it up even more than he had in, in the past. So like I said, it just kind of felt like he was not being himself, but being a character of himself. And that to me was the first part of just kind of like the whole, you know, for five rounds, you're getting dominated and, and you're also like just kind of playing the shtick that, that you've been given. And it, I don't know. It just kind of felt funky. Yeah. It, it felt forced, right? Yeah. It felt like, it felt like Kevin Holland, you know, you see the the promotion, you see uh, all the commercials, uh, how they're promoting him. They're promoting him as, as a big mouth. They're, you know, they're promoting him as the guy that's on his back with Jacare on top of him. And he's just kind of laughing at him, t- telling Jacare, like, 
I had dreams about this when I was 17 and, you know, Jacare kind of falls into it and then he gets the knockout of the year. So I think he fell into that. I think, um, I think he saw a path to becoming a superstar. I think um, with him uh, being a trash talker and talking while he's in the cage and, you know, with no crowd, you, you're able to hear everything that he's saying. I think he, I think he fell prisoner into finding the path to being a superstar. And, you know, it seemed like that was way more important to him, you know, having those eyes on him and him uh, acting out instead of him winning the fight. Derek Brunson went in there and just did what was necessary to win the fight. But Kevin Holland, you know, it just seemed like he was going in there to try to um, up his star, I guess. Yeah. I mean, look, we knew that if if Brunson was going to be able to take him down, Brunson was going to win the majority of the time that was spent on the ground. Like, we knew that going into this fight. I don't think that was a mystery to anybody. I, I think, for me at least, I felt like Kevin Holland was going to be much more measured with what he did on his feet to eliminate those opportunities for Derek Brunson to take him down. And that's where I think the whole like character part plays a role here. You know, I'm not saying that Derek Brunson wouldn't do the exact same thing if Kevin Holland wasn't kind of playing that same role that he played. But I also don't know that if you're not doing that and you're a little bit more focused, that you're not a little bit more calculated with what you're doing on the feet to, to prevent him from having those opportunities to lock you up and take you down. Yeah, and for what it's worth, as long as the fight was standing, I mean, Kevin Holland was doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, he was hurting him on the feet. Uh, he did a really good job, but it just seemed like uh, whenever whenever the, uh, Derek would close the distance, get a hold of him, he didn't really have an answer for it. And it, it, he almost seemed like he was uh, kind of just willing to go down there and just try to test his luck and just see if he can, you know, make something miraculous happen like he did with Jacare. Uh, Derek Brunson definitely controlled him on the ground. Uh, uh, Derek had good, like, you know, submission defense. Uh, he didn't he didn't allow the fight to get finished. But, you know, you want to see, uh, especially w- with a fight uh, that had so much uh, riding on it for, for Holland, you know, if he would have won, He's a, one step closer to a title shot, you know, with the division kind of wide open as far as who's is his next opponent. Um, you just want to see more, a little bit of a sense of urgency. Uh, but, you know, there, yeah. it just wasn't there for him. Uh, and, you know, it's just tough to see because you could tell he wasn't focused. And, uh, you know, Derek fought, fought great, but I feel like he was more of what Kevin Holland didn't do than what Derek Brunson did. Uh, and you know, even in, in his corner, you know, he's uh, talking to Khabib when he's instead of taking direction <laughs> from his coaches, you know, he's yeah. talking to Dana White out there, like, like, come on, man. Which you is know? great if you're winning the fight, but when you're getting, Absolutely. but when you're getting completely dominated, Absolutely. yeah, it just it it's, I don't know, it gives off the perception that you're not as focused as you should have been. And like I said, I, I'm not saying that the fight goes any different if he's laser focused. Maybe the fight goes the exact same way, but. I mean, we don't know that. I mean, may, maybe he's much more calculated with, you know, everything that he does on his feet, and Derek Brunson doesn't have nearly the opportunities. Maybe you're talking about twice as much time on the feet and more opportunities for him to hurt Derek Brunson. I don't know. I just, it, it, watching that fight, that was not the fight I expected that we were going to get, and I don't. maybe it's a little bit different, maybe it's not at all, but I, I didn't feel like we saw the very best of Kevin Holland, 
And look, I'll say this. I, I think Kevin Holland will be back. I don't think he's done. I don't think this is just a flash in the pan, you know, one and done, and, and now he just kind of, like, disappears into the oblivion. I, I think he's still very much a guy to pay attention to. And, you know, he'll he'll go back to the drawing board, and he'll recalculate things, and he'll work on the things that were obviously exposed in this fight. Uh, but it was a missed opportunity, and he's going to have to, you know, earn that opportunity back. But I, I still think Derek or Kevin Holland is a terrific fighter and a guy that can easily back, be back in a main event scenario. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin Holland, he could be in a main event scenario even at 185 or if he decided to drop down to 170. Uh, because, you know, I didn't realize how big that uh, Kevin Holland was, but seeing him next to Derek Brunson, I mean, you, you saw the, the, the reach, yeah. like how long he is and how much taller that he was like it, it was it was glaring uh to me and you know when they were on the feet like i said like kevin holland was hurting him that's a very skilled striker and you know i think Derek brunson knew like man i have to be smart i can't just go in wild i have to pick and choose my shots or you know this guy can hurt me and you know Derek definitely played the game uh very calculated very well just did what he had to do to win but it just didn't seem like um, Kevin Holland was, was that focused. But I feel like if he was as focused as he was in 2020, you know, trying to get his name out there, um, maybe we see a different result. You yeah. know, you never know, like you said. Yeah. But, you know, we definitely didn't see uh, Kevin Holland being as sharp as he, as he normally is. Yeah, for sure. And, and he, I guess, mentioned in, uh, in one of his post-fight uh, press conferences that – he would like to go down to one. He would like to get a nutritionist, get to 170, and fight Chimaev, which uh, signed me up for that main event. Absolutely. I mean, I wonder how the <laughs> I wonder how the trash talk would be between those two. That would be that would be pretty entertaining to see. And then the fight itself, uh, man, Styles make fights, and that would be incredible. Yeah. But yeah, sign me up for that too. Yeah, I'm in. Well, again, he's gonna have to work on his takedown defense and his ground game if he's gonna fight Chimaev because. Shemayev will take him there, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's, that, 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 I mean, that's the way this thing goes, right? You fight somebody that, that shows a, a missing link in your game, and, and you got to go back to the drawing board and work on it, and, you know, this is why this is such a better sport than boxing, for example, because there's so many different moving parts that uh, you may be great in this area, and this area, and this area, and this area, but you face a guy that does this one thing that maybe you don't do well, and you get exposed, and, and you have to, sure of that part of your game up, but um, what's next for Derek Brunson? I mean, he, he moves up four spots in the rankings this week. He's now the number four fighter at 185. You have Izzy, Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, Jared Cannonier, and Derek Brunson. I actually like the idea of Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier. Yeah, I, you know, he's Jared Cannonier, he's one of those guys that just kind of, you know, you kind of forget about. Uh, he had that fight with Robert Whitaker, and, you know, he hasn't really been heard from since, but yeah. I kind of think that's the perfect fight to make. Uh, uh is coming off that loss, and Derek Brunson is looking good. Um, Derek Brunson is trying to get to the upper echelon of the division. You take you take out a guy like Cannoneer, you get right up there to the uh, top. We're talking about a title shot uh, with the win. But I, but I feel like Derek's going to want to go after a guy. And he's already said he wants to go after Paulo Costa. You know, Costa's already been there, done that, fought for the title. He's kind of got a, a bit of a name. Uh, with, the, with everything that happened with Izzy, the whole rivalry and everything. Yeah. So I feel like Brunson's going to want to shoot for that fight, but I wouldn't be surprised to see um, 
Brunson and Cannoneer uh, get booked also. Uh, and both of those fights, uh, sign me up for both of those. Yeah, I mean, you start to look at that division. Uh, we don't know what's next for Izzy, but uh, Whitaker already has Gastelum after Costa canceled. Costa's currently sitting uh, by himself. Cannoneer's currently without a partner. Darren Till and Marvin Vittori are going to fight. Uh, Jack Hermanson has... Who does Jack Hermanson have coming up? Uh, Edmund Shabazian. Yeah, Shabazian. So, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty much the top ten. And then Uriah Hall has... Um, Uriah Hall has somebody coming up, too. Weidman. Weidman, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking about very few opportunities as far as the the top ten guys. It's it's uh, basically Costa or Cannoneer. Yeah, and, and but... Both of those two fights, I mean, Cannonier uh, is what, number three? Yeah. And Cost uh, is number two. So uh, if, I, if I'm Brunson, I'm, I'm definitely calling for one of those two fights. You don't want to go low, but you don't want to uh, call up the champ or anything. But you know you, you're probably one or two wins away. Uh, definitely got to go after one of those guys who's ranked ahead of you. Is Till Vittori the next in line for the belt? Because I kind of think... I mean, Gastelum, Gastelum fought Izzy probably better than anybody, right? Absolutely. And with Gastelum stepping in against Whitaker, like, I, I almost think give, give the winner of that back to Izzy. I know it's a rematch, but, I mean, you have one that fought him really, really, really tight, and, and it was a great fight, and then Whitaker is obviously former champion and has, you know, if, if he beats Gastelum, it's like, what else does he need to prove to get a rematch? Yeah, for for me, I yeah. What else would Whitaker need to do uh, if he wins this fight with Kelvin and he looks impressive? Like if he gets a finish, especially. Yeah. Um, I I think it would be just really really hard to deny Robert a title shot. I mean, I know Izzy got him out of there in two rounds, but um, I mean, if you're if you're a champion, you went you lose a fight like that, and you reel off three in a row against. Three tough guys, Darren Till, um, Cannoneer, uh, Derek Cannoneer, and then and then Kelvin Gastelum. Like if you if you beat those three guys, like it's hard to deny uh, Robert a title shot because most guys get a title shot after one big win, but this would be three. You know, Robert uh, and Robert's still uh, improving. So uh, yeah, I feel like the winner of Rob and Kelvin could get a title shot, but it looks like all the signs are pointing towards Vittori Till. Because for one, it just seems like Adesanya just really, really wants to fight uh, Darren Till. Like uh, with the whole UK uh, crowd and everything, you know, he wants to make that fight happen. Uh, and then Vittori, you know, Vittori fought him probably better than anyone besides Kelvin. Uh, it was a split decision. Uh, yeah. Vittori still thinks he won. You know, Izzy's like, bro, you know, that judge shouldn't even gave you that fight or that that round or whatever so you know there's something there so you know you never know uh i feel like till vittori that winner uh as far as izzy as far as izzy is concerned that's the that's the fight that he wants i I think he wants one of those two guys and i don't really think he wants to touch uh whitaker or kelvin all right, so the co-main event was supposed to be Gregor Gillespie and Brad Riddell. That fight did oh. not take place. So our co-main event on Saturday night was Max Griffin with the upset over Kanan Song. This was uh, I, I didn't expect this to happen. And, and look, Max Griffin was a guy that was trending in the wrong direction. This was a monster win for him. 
Yeah, and I remember telling you, man, I just felt like uh, Kenan Song, I just felt like he was kind of, uh, there's those guys who kind of have it. And, you know, him being a kickboxer, you know, having that pedigree coming into the UFC and everything, I just felt like he had it. Yeah. You know, he, he's got the look, he's got, you know, he's got the skill and everything. But as soon as that fight started, his he just did not look comfortable. He didn't look prepared, you know. His eyes were real big, and he didn't seem like he wanted to pull the trigger. But Max Griffin was like, he saw blood. Like, he wanted to go in there and hurt that guy, and he definitely did. Uh, Max Griffin uh, is, uh, I think he's about 36 or whatever. He's one of the older guys in the sport. But it's good to see a guy like that, you know, get the bonus, you know, get a big knockout like that. Um, yeah, man, he definitely deserved it. And, you know, for Kanan Song, he's going to have to go back to the drawing board. You know, uh, he's got a lot of potential. But when you go out there, man, you got to be ready to fight. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite fights of the night was uh, Cheyenne Bays and Montserrat Ruiz or Montserrat Conejo, Ooh. whatever you want to call her, um, both making their UFC debuts. Obviously, you can see that both of these women are are very, very skilled and very, very good fighters. And, you know, yeah. we talked about this a week ago. I was really excited for this fight. Um as long as it was standing up, Cheyenne Bays clearly looked like the better fighter. And as long as it was Absolutely. on the ground, Montserrat clearly looked like the the more skilled athlete. This was uh, this was an awesome fight. And look, at the very end, we even had fireworks to the point that Cheyenne Bays is like, "I'll follow you home, bitch!" And you have Mon- <laughs> Montserrat giving her the finger, and it like this, this was awesome. This was a good fight, and the fireworks continued after the the final fifteen minutes. Yeah, it was a, it was a crazy fight. It was crazy because um, Montserrat she had just one really her game plan was just one thing. It was just to get her uh, take that like the uh, headlock and then yeah the head yeah the headlock flip over takedown like that was her only like takedown. I didn't see like no double leg, no single leg, no high crotch. No, like, she didn't need like, it. There was nothing. Yeah, it was just that one <laughs> that yeah. one takedown and just Cheyenne Bay just couldn't stop it. You know, yeah. like she knew exactly what was coming. And she couldn't stop it. But as long, but as long as it was on the feet, Cheyenne Bays looked uh, looked incredible. And you know, um, in the third round, it was anybody's fight. But you know, Montra got that takedown. And you know, I had my I had my pick on her. So I was like, just get the takedown, just wrap her ass up, and just get it down, man. And you know, she did that. But at the end of the fight, when it was over, like I didn't really see like they said that Montra spit on her. You know, it's kind of tough to tell if she actually like uh, really spit on her, but. You know, Cheyenne Bays got extremely upset and was trying to get at her, get at her after the, the fight was over. It was it was crazy, and then Montrose over giving her the finger and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, for a girl fight, that's what you really want to see, right? Sign me <laughs> up. That was that was awesome. Uh, I was excited for that fight, and it delivered. Uh, I I absolutely enjoyed that one. And and look, I'm excited to see what's next for both of them. I, I think that both are going to be forces to be reckoned with in that division. Uh, all right, this was uh, this was another really impressive performance, and uh, I'm I'm really glad that you changed your pick on this one. Adrian Yanez and Gustavo Lopez at 135. Initially, we both picked Adrian Yanez. After the fact, you went back and changed your pick to Gustavo Lopez. Dude, how impressive was Adrian Yanez in that fight? Man, look, I really didn't even want to change my pick, but I just wanted to be opposite of you on more than two fights. But man. Yeah. Adrian Yanez, like, as soon as the fight started and, like, I seen him move around and I started seeing him landing punches, I was like, yeah, this, 
this wasn't the best idea. This wasn't one of my better ideas. But, uh, yeah, Adrian Yanez, I mean, coming off that big uh, head kick knockout, uh, definitely followed up with an impressive performance. Gustavo, you could just tell that he was really, really tough, but he just didn't have an answer for how skilled of a striker that Yanez is. And Yanez is always looking for the kill. I mean, he he's another guy in that bantamweight division that just you have to look out for. And he's not even ranked in the top 15 that I know of. No. So if I mean, if a guy like him is at the you know at the bottom of the top 15, that that just shows how crazy this that this division is. And you know, Giannis, I still I believe that Giannis has a a very very high ceiling. Um, his potential's through the roof. So I mean, we'll see what happens what happens next for him. But he looked incredible. Uh, last weekend in that division uh, you have guys like Sean O'Malley Casey Kinney Ricky Simone Adrian Yanez Jack Shore all not ranked and that's that is incredible that's insane yeah I mean those guys aren't even ranked like then it makes you wonder like who's in the top 15 but then when you name the top 15 you're like oh yeah like Cheeto Vera, Kyler Phillips, 15. Cody Stamen, Marab Davalishvili, Jimmy Rivera, uh, Rafael Asuncao, uh, Dominic Cruz, Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar, Marlon Marais, Jose Aldo, Cody Garbrandt, Rob Font, Corey Sanhagen, Pewter Yawn, and Aljamain Sterling. Good Lord. Exactly. So, like, you name off all those people, and then you're like, okay, people love Sean O'Malley. He's got a huge following, but who in the top 15 is he going to take? Like, yeah. I mean, who whose spot can you give him? Whose spot can you give Adrian Yanez at this point? You know, I mean, just the top 15 is just so crazy, man. Like, 135, we, we both said that it's probably the second best division in the sport right now. I mean, it's hard to argue yeah, that. I believe that. Yeah, 155 and then 135 for me, for sure. Uh, all right, our uh, our opening fight on the main card Saturday was uh, Tai Tuivasa. And Will, he got the knockout, and he got the beer in the shoe. It was a complete night for Ty Tuivasa. Yeah, I mean, with with uh, having a, a opponent change, you know, fighting a guy on pretty much 24 hours notice, um, he was supposed to fight Dante Mays. That fight fell through. Uh, props to, to Hunsucker for taking the fight, uh, getting out there. But you you could just tell uh, Ty Tuivasa is on another level. Um those leg kicks and then, you know, just uh, taking them out with that combination. Yeah. You know, Ty's, Ty's good, man. You can tell he's getting better. Uh, his kicks are getting better. You know, he, he uh, is sharpening up his tools with his grappling training with uh, AKA now. So um, I feel like uh, Ty two of us has definitely got a lot of potential yeah. moving forward in the heavyweight division. Uh, I feel like his next fight, we're really going to get to see where he's at. I feel like he's going to fight probably someone in the top 15. Uh, so, yeah, man, I mean, we'll see what happens next with him. He had lost three uh, in a row before that Stefan Struve win. And, like, now, like, it's it's back-to-back wins. But, like, I think he's looked good. I think you're right. I think top, 15's, uh, top 15 opponent's next. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and granted, he fought three guys who were um, either in the top 15 or like right outside the top 15. He was fighting some really tough guys and he was relying heavily on his striking. But uh, he knew that he had to sharpen his tools uh, with his uh, with his wrestling because I believe he lost to uh, Marcin Tybora, I want to say, uh, got submitted. And uh, and it was pro- it was pretty much tr- it was too easy to. Uh, 
getting taken down and getting submitted. You know, he knew that he had to uh, get better uh, on the ground, and he's definitely took the time and done that. And we've seen it with those last two fights. Uh, to take out a guy like Stefan Struve uh, the way he did, uh, definitely he he looked a lot better. And you know, now I think he's uh, I think he warrants one of those top fifteen guys, and I think he's trying to work his way back up. Yep. All right, so after the card, uh, we both got a point on Tuivasa. I got a point on Yanez. You got a point on Ruiz. We both missed the song pick, and we both missed the Kevin Holland pick. So uh, that puts the scoreboard at 21-20 in my favor, which also means I am picking first for UFC 260, Francis Ngannou against the champion Stipe Miocic. And this is uh, part two of their incredible rivalry. So uh, before we, uh, before we give picks on this massively, massively disappointing that we don't have Brian Ortega and Alexander Volkanovsky on this fight card. Yeah, that's, that's devastating, man. I mean, as excited as we all are about Stipe and Francis, you know, big heavyweights fighting. I mean, we were going to get to see uh, a very, very close skill uh, matchup with Volkanovski and Ortega. Like, there's so many things, so many questions that you have going into the fight with uh, with how good Ortega looked and with this last fight with uh, Volkanovski fighting someone other than Max Holloway uh, for the first time <laughs> right. in about a year. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just like with the different styles, you know, Ortega just looked so good on the feet and then how how great he is on the ground already. Like it, w- it was just intriguing to see what Volkanovski's, um, what his path to victory was going to be. I was so intrigued by the fight, but you know, it just sucks that it, you know that it got taken off this card. But I hope to see it soon. Yeah, yeah, same for me. And and look again because you also have that division where, like Max Holloway's in no man's land, and I mean they need to progress with the top of that division anyway. Just because I mean Max had one of the most incredible performances that I've ever seen in the history of the UFC at the beginning of this year against Calvin Cater, and he's lost twice to. Volkanovski so like that that division needs to do something because clearly he's the best guy in that division and look I I thought he won the second fight uh so yeah they're kind of at a at a a weird impasse anyway at 145 and then you have to delay this title fight um yeah it stinks yeah I mean if I'm Max I don't know if I just chill and just kind of see what happens but you know he he said he wants to fight three times this year um, I don't know if you can if you can just rebook Volkanovski and, and Ortega for like May or early June or something like that. But even if that's the case, uh, if I'm Max, like, do I do you entertain the thought of taking another fight while these guys are are uh, you know getting their getting everything uh, taken care of with them? And then you know if I'm Max, I don't know if I'm taking another fight because I I have so much leverage right now i literally just had a crazy historic performance yeah like there like i I don't really i don't think he should take another fight i think he should just wait because you know people were going to remember your last performance you don't want to risk that taking on another guy or moving up to lightweight and fighting somebody or taking on henry cejudo just because he's got his uh your name in his mouth and all this stuff yeah just wait man and just but hopefully it doesn't have to wait until like September or October for Volkanovski and Ortega to fight. Hopefully it gets done pretty quick. 
Well, and, and again, you look at that division, who is there to fight anyway? Like, Zabit hasn't fought in what feels like, you know, years. Uh, I, don't, I don't even, I don't remember the actual date of when he fought last, but it feels like it's been forever. Uh, Yair Rodriguez is currently in suspension, correct? I believe so. Uh, Korean Zombie, it sounds like, is working on a fight with Danny Gay. Max just beat Calvin Cater, and he's probably going to be out for a while, I would imagine. Uh, Josh Emmett, who looked really good in his last fight, I think is still uh, out with ACL, right? Yes, yeah. And then you get to Dan Ige at eight, and then, I mean, by the time you get to the next guy, it's like Jeremy Stevens, Arnold Allen, Yusuf, Burgos, Mitchell, like... Max is just kind of yeah. there. Like, there's there's nowhere yeah. for him to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he can't fight any of those guys. And, I mean, maybe he entertains a fight at 155, like, just, just to stay ready, stay in fight mode, I guess. But if I'm Max, I, I just wait. But hopefully it doesn't take too long. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's kick this thing off. It is a five fight main card for UF, UFC 260, and we start at the lightweight division 155, 12 and four. Jamie Malarkey, 16 and seven, comma worthy, the Death Star. Give me the Death Star, comma worthy, in the opening <laughs> fight of UFC 260. Yeah, uh, I mean, as much as I want to pick against you, man, Kamal Worthy, that's one of those guys who's pretty vicious, and uh, he knows how to get the job done. So uh, I'm also going to go with uh, Kamal Worthy in this coming one. Off, both guys coming off a loss, by the way. Kamal Worthy, who, who was his last fight against? His name is missing His name is missing me, but... Uh, it was... Uh, was it a, Otman Azader. And there was the... Split decision last wasn't it? It was a round one KO. Really? Yeah. I, I, I think that was uh, Fight Island, if I remember right. Okay. Okay. Well, um, Tom Worthy is one of those guys who brings it. Uh, obviously, he's going to either get a knockout or he's going to get knocked out. So uh, I expect a war, but um, I definitely feel like uh, this is a Tom Worthy fight to win. All right. We are on the same side of the opener. Our next fight, 125, we have women's flyweights. Uh, we have some young ones here. Uh, 25-year-old Jillian Robertson, 23-year-old Miranda Maverick. Give me the young gun, Miranda Maverick. You get the uh, Top Gun ah. reference there. Uh, Miranda Maverick over Jillian Robertson for me. Man, I... I thought you were going to take Robertson, to be honest with you. Uh, I remember uh, I took this fight on an earlier card, but it got scrapped because one of them got COVID or whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty high on Miranda Maverick. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, – I think she's uh, the future of the, of the women's division. So, man, do I want to pick against you, man? You know, you did start the show kind of coming at me, man, with the whole – yeah, man, playing those mind games, man. I'm trying to trying yeah, to throw you off. A, yeah, man. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm sticking with Maverick. I'm okay, with Miranda. okay. I was about to scratch it out. But, <laughs> all right, Miranda Maverick. So uh, we are we are on the same side of the first two fights. All right, bantamweight or excuse me, uh, yeah, bantamweight. We have Thomas Almeida and Sean O'Malley. So Sean O'Malley was 12-0. His last fight was the Cheeto Vera fight where he got hurt. He had drop foot, 
He's back. He's ready to go. Thomas Almeida is also a really interesting story, Will. Um, he was, think about this. His record is 22 and 4. He was yeah. 21 and 0 at one point. He's now 22 and 4. He's lost four of his last five. I mean, granted, if you look at who he's fought, it's been, I mean, all, let's see, Jonathan Martinez, who we just saw fight the other night against Davey Martin or Davey Grant. Rob Font, Jimmy Rivera, Cody Garbrandt. So, four losses, but to four killers at 135. Uh, he's lost four of his last five, 22 and four overall. Sean O'Malley, I, I think this is a bounce back for Sean O'Malley. Uh, he said this week, even, he still considers himself to be undefeated. Um, that was a really disappointing fight with, with Cheeto Vera. Obviously, the, the injury, um, we don't know how that would have... Um, you know, gone if, if that didn't happen. I, I liked Sean O'Malley to win that fight if if the injury wouldn't have taken place, but, I mean, it's it's part of the game. Uh, give me Sean O'Malley over Thomas Almeida. Yeah. Um, I'll say this about Thomas Almeida. There was a time when people thought that he was the next guy. Like, yeah. uh, Dominic Cruz was the champion at the time, and uh, he was injured. You know, Dominic Cruz has dealt with so many injuries, but... Um, it kind of seemed like Thomas Almeida, the UFC was kind of uh, pushing him to be that next star. And uh, he was looking good for, for some, for, uh, you know, of course he started out 21 and 0. And then uh, I remember he had a big knockout on a, on a Conor McGregor card. I forgot who he fought, but it was a, it was like a flying knee. And, you know, everyone was like, Oh yeah. Like Thomas Brad Almeida, Pickett. he's tough. That's that Brad Pickett. Yeah, exactly. Uh, everyone thought that he was the next guy. And it was looking that way. And then he fought uh, Cody Garbrandt. And uh, Cody Garbrandt uh, took him out, I believe, in one round. And uh, he hasn't been the same since. Um, Like I said, he's lost four of his last five. And, uh, you know, Cody kind of took off. His star kind of took off. And Thomas just kind of, you know, kind of went downhill after that fight. Um, I feel like Thomas is skilled, but I feel like um, he's not able to take – uh, the big shots. And I think um, Sean O'Malley being such a skilled uh, striker, uh, I just don't think that this is uh, one of those fights for Thomas O'Malley that's going to go pretty, that's going to go well for him. Uh, he's going to be tough, but I feel like um, technique and uh, just the, the skill level of, of uh, Sean O'Malley is going to shine through and uh, we'll see uh, Sean O'Malley victory. I think Sean O'Malley is going to be hungry to avenge the, the Cheeto Vera situation. Also, I, I would say consider this. So, Almeida lost to Rob Font in January of 2018. He then suffered an eye injury and didn't fight in 2019. He had one canceled fight in 2020 for COVID and then lost to Jonathan Martinez in October of 2020. So, we're talking about now a three-year period where he fought in the octagon one time, over three years. With well, one I, fight. I, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that um, because there, yeah, there was a time when he was uh, very, very active, uh, and then after that loss to Cody, I guess just everything just went downhill for him. And you know, he's pretty skilled. He's re- he's very tough, but you know, like I said, uh, he's he's very, very hittable. And um, I think Sean just being such a skilled striker, uh, and then with this layoff that Almeida's had, and while Sean's probably just been sharpening his tools, and he's got 
extra motivation with everything that happened with Cheeto Vera. Um, yeah, I think Sean O'Malley will win. But I, I want to ask you, um, if Sean O'Malley wins this, do you think it's probably the best case or the best next step for Sean just to rematch Cheeto Vera? I could see that for sure. I mean, especially when you consider that division. Um, I'm, I'm looking. Kyler Phillips just entered the top 15. Sean O'Malley, Kyler Phillips, I think would be a really good fight. Uh, when you consider how good Kyler Phillips looked against, uh, was it Song Yudong? Yeah. Uh, that that would be a fun fight. But then, I mean, if you go further up, um, I don't really, I don't really like the Marab matchup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jimmy Rivera <laughs> might be interesting. Sean O'Malley, yeah. Jimmy Rivera. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I think. Again, that division is so loaded, I don't think you can go much further. So, yeah, Cheeto Vera, a re, the Cheeto Vera rematch makes sense. Kyler Phillips, Jimmy Rivera, that's probably about what, what I'd be thinking. Cody Stamen. Oh, yeah, yeah. All those are, are, are good matchups, but I think with there being like a, a backstory kind of to this Vera fight, and yeah. then there's kind of there's kind of still questions on, you know, what, what, ha- what would happen right. if, you know, the injury never happened and everything. So, I think uh, it would... You know, people will want to see it. There's, Sean O'Malley's got a big following, and yeah. Yeah, put him up against the guy that uh, who's got his only uh, loss. So, yeah, I'd love to see it. I think Cheeto Vera is a pretty good draw anyway on his own as well. So, I think that'd be a pretty big fight. Absolutely, yeah. Cheeto Vera, he, he's not ranked anymore, right? Yeah, no, he's fifteen. Fifteen, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah if uh, if Sean O'Malley wins this, I would love to see that fight. Yeah, but look, if Sean O'Malley wins this in a really impressive manner. Um, I, I think he's just one of those guys that has that it factor and people love him. Like if, if he were to win this in like a minute with a KO, like they may fast track him. Like he's one of those guys because of, I think the personality and the whole aura that he has that could just kind of jump some places in line. Yeah. He's got that type of star where, um, like you could, you could see, um, that he was fighting very, very frequently, and he was steadily moving up. Like, they didn't want to push him too fast, yeah. but they were giving him those guys where you just like, okay, like, this is one of those fights where you continue to move up, you continue to move up the ladder. If he would have beat Chio Vera, like, there was probably talks about him fighting, uh, like, a Cody Garbrandt or an Aldo or somebody, um, especially if he would have looked impressive. So, yeah, they just want to fast-track him. They, they see the type of star that he is. Like, it's hard not to like Sean O'Malley. Like, I feel like a lot of people kind of are kind of drawn to him because he doesn't yeah. look like a guy who's uh, just like a world beater or whatever. Yeah. You know, he's, he's really, he's really skinny. Uh, sounds like kind of like a nerd. He smokes all the time, you know, does crazy shit with his hair, you know, but when he gets it, when, when he gets in the cage, like he's a uh, very, very sophisticated striker. Uh, his technique is, is really good, but you just kind of wonder like, uh, the the big parts of his game as far as like wrestling and, and jujitsu and everything, who would push him to do that? But if he's just knocking guys out, you know, that's pretty much what people want to see and that's what he does. Yep. All right. So we are uh we're both on O'Malley here, correct? Yeah. As much as I want to be one I want to pick against you, but I can in that one. I really can't yeah. I can't pick Almeida over O'Malley. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Our co main event should have been Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega. But instead, it is former welterweight champion of the world, Tyron Woodley and Vincent Luque. All right, so Ty- Tyron Woodley has lost three in a row. He lost to Usman. He lost to Burns. He lost to Covington. 
uh, doesn't even, I mean, to be honest with you, look like the same guy at this point uh, after the last however many rounds. Uh, Vincent Luque's won eight of nine. I'm taking Vincent Luque. I can't in good conscience like pick Tyron Woodley when I watched him get completely dominated against Colby Covington, get completely dominated against Gilbert Burns. Obviously, Kamaru Usman is the champion, and, and that speaks for itself, but he doesn't look like the same guy, and, and I think Vincent Luque has looked good. So, I mean, this is one of the guys that, that was one of my favorite fighters, uh, especially when I was really getting into this, was kind of when he began to emerge uh, in the welterweight division. Unfortunately, uh, I'm picking against Tyron Woodley, and it's Vincent Luque for me. Man, I mean, I've been watching T. Wood since probably since I started watching. And it's just, it's just kind of sad to see what's, what's been happening with him because everything's going so well. He's the champion. Uh, he's defended it a few times, and then he runs into Usman, and then just everything just kind of shuts down for him. And it, it didn't seem like there was just anything that looked like, okay, Tyron is just, he's slowing down, you know. It, I didn't get that impression in any of these fights. It just looked like Tyron's just kind of in there, but he's not doing anything. He's not fighting. He's, he's a spectator, not because, a participant. Yeah, he's just, yeah. Spect, yeah, he's, just, he's just in there. He talks about, like, I see the shots, like, my body's telling me to throw them, but, I, you know, I just don't throw them. You know, like, you know, I, I don't know what what it is with him, but for me, as a guy who's been watching Tyron a long time, I really just want to see a good performance out of him. I want to see a guy who's going to move forward. Engage, uh, right? Not just, yeah, just, you know, engage. But I will say, Vicente Luque, he's going to be in his face <laughs> yeah. trying to trying to, trying to to take his head off. I mean, if, if there's going to be no backing up against the fence and just kind of waiting for the guy to take you down or uh, like uh, Usman, who's gonna who's gonna touch you, but not gonna really hurt you. Like Vicente Luque is trying to hurt you, and uh, you know I feel like Vicente is one of those guys who will take a big shot to give a big shot. Agreed. Uh, he's always game. He's always in wars. Um, man, I'm I'm holding out hope for Tyron, man, because I really I really don't think he's done. I really just All think right. he just needed. To, I, I just think he needed like some type of just like a mentality switch where he, he just he's just like fuck it I'm just gonna go forward and I'm gonna uh, just go and I'm gonna fight tonight I'm not just gonna go in there and uh, just watch these guys beat me up I'm gonna go fight so I'm holding out hope for Tyron so I am actually gonna pick Tyron oh gonna, okay I like yeah it. I'm, I'm going I'm going T Wood uh, I've watched him for a long time a lot of respect for him so. I'm going to Wood. Yeah, I, I do too. I just, I don't, he's just clearly not the same guy that he was. And look, maybe he finds that in this fight. I will say this. If anybody is going to, like, back you against a wall where you have to fight, it's it's Luke. I mean, you don't have the choice to just kind of, like, get picked apart. Like, this won't be a picking apart. He will come in and just, like, yeah. onslaught. Like, so... And, and he's also a guy that's ranked 10th, so he's not in the Gilbert Burns-Colby Covington situation where, you know, they're going to easily win but not put themselves at risk. Like, he needs to win this, so I don't think he, like, has any reservations about potentially putting himself in, in any jeopardy. So maybe this is the fight that the UFC said, hey, if, if there is anything left in Tyron Woodley, Vincent Luque is going to bring it out. Uh, just from a matchup standpoint. So I, I can see it from that perspective, but 
Uh, I just I, I I just think he you know the 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 Top Gun thing after Goose dies where you know they're they're trying to get Maverick to engage and they're like he won't engage he won't engage that's that's how I feel about Tyron Woodley he just for whatever reason it doesn't seem like he's just ready to get into that that fight and I I would I would also add this I wonder if his spot in the UFC is on the line with this fight absolutely um, with. You can just tell with how it's trending, like with JDS, with Overeem, right. with um, Yoel Romero, like those guys that just kind of, just kind of, you know, got released out of nowhere. Um, with Tyron, man, I definitely see, especially if he loses this and he, he has those performances like he has yeah. the last three, there would be no reason for anyone to either want to see him fight again or care to see him fight again because if he's going to just go out there and get beat up, nobody wants to see that, right. especially when you, if, if you follow Tyron's career, like, you know, like, he's the guy that goes out and he's the one that's getting knockouts. He's the one that's, you know, putting all these guys, but he's just been in there just, just getting thrown around and, you know, for what, you know? And I don't know if it's gotten to a point where, okay, I, I've watched Tyron for a long time and I've seen him, uh, I've seen him with nasty leg kicks. I've seen him use his wrestling. I've seen him with, um, with 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 his overhand rights and everything, knock people out. But I feel like he's just become a one-dimensional fighter lately. It's just that looking right for hand. one big shot, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. And it, and it just seems like if he doesn't have that one big shot, like he doesn't do anything else. Right. He just looks for the he just looks for the opening to throw that right hand. And if he doesn't have it, then he's just gonna kind of just stand there and just kind of wait for the opening. But he's losing on the numbers. He's losing rounds. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, you know, his camp kind of just goes over with him. Like, man, like, no matter what, no, no matter how long this fight's going, you got to move forward. You you got to move forward no matter what. This is going to be in your face. If you don't, like, you don't want to get knocked out on national TV in front of everybody. Like, I feel like Col- I feel like Tyron's been embarrassed enough. Like, he's had such bad blood with Kobe yeah. Covington. And that was probably – and. Kobe finished him. Like, it doesn't get more embarrassing than that. And then with, with Usman just completely dominating him and taking his title. Like, how Burns. Like, how much more? And then Burns uh, wipes the floor with him for five rounds. Like, like come on, man. Like, T-Wood, if, if you lose this fight in the same fashion that you lost his other three, man, like, unfortunately, it's probably going to be your last, your last rodeo in the UFC. Yeah, I, I, I do think that... Uh... He would need to win, I think, to stay. And and look, even if he looks better, I don't know that if he looks better and loses, let, let's just say it's a good fight and it, it goes to split decision, Luke. I still don't know that that would be enough, I think, considering just where he was and the star he was. And when you consider, again, just how bad he looked in the Covington fight, um, dominated for five rounds. I mean, at no point in the course of that fight, and it went to the fifth before Covington finished him, at no point did it ever look like Tyron Woodley was in that fight or that Tyron Woodley had any sort of advantage at any moment. And the same thing for Gil- yeah. the Gilbert Burns fight. Five full rounds of Gilbert Burns dominating the entirety of the 25 minutes those guys were in combat. Like, it's... It, it, I think I, Dana is looking to, you know, cut guys loose on that roster, make room for, for new blood in, in that UFC roster. And when you have former champions that are on losing streaks that aren't giving the performances that people are used to. 
you just mentioned it. You mentioned some names. Yoel Romero. I didn't. I I didn't think Yoel was done, and they cut. Yeah. You know, they they cut him loose. Um. Obviously, I think the writing was on the wall with JDS and and Overeem. But again, similar situations where there's not really anywhere else for them to go but down. You know, and and I think that's the same thing with Woodley here. Like, if he doesn't win this, there's nowhere for him to go but down. Like he's. He's not going to just stay in this spot anymore, right? Like, it's it's just, it, it, you go into free fall mode, and I, I would almost, you know, for a guy that's as co- accomplished as much as he has, it almost feels like it's a, a, a rescue uh, raft <laughs> to, to cut him loose. You know what I mean? So this is a big fight. Yeah. This is a big fight for him, I think. Yeah, it's, it's do or die for him. I mean, it, and if there's ever been a, a time for T. Wood just to say, fuck it, go forward, uh, just leave it all out there. I would love to I, see it. Yeah, I would love to see it. And and you want to see him just leave it all out there. You want to see him pour his heart out while he's out there. Uh, like, even if he goes out there and did, and did what uh, Aljo did, where Aljo just completely just emptied the gas tank in the first round, at least, at least he's trying, right? Like, for 15 rounds, for 15 consecutive rounds, Tyron Woodley's been out there, but I have not seen... Tyron Woodley even try I mean maybe there was there was like times against Burns where he tried but like after Burns kind of jumped out on him after that first round I mean Woodley he was just out there again and you know I think he he was for 15 rounds he's trying not to get finished and he eventually did against Kobe but now I just think man like your career is on the line. You're creating UFC, like your reputation is on the line. Like, you know, hardcore fans who, who have been wanting to watch you or who have watched you for so long are starting to just be like, yeah, I don't even care to see him fight anymore. You know? So, I mean, for me, I just want to see him, uh, just at least just go out there and give an effort, man. At this point, win or lose, you know, just go out there and give effort. By the way, Colby Covington is plus two Oh five in this fight or sorry. Tyron Woodley is plus two hundred five in this fight, which means you get a bonus point if uh, if he is to win. So that would be a two pointer for you to to regain the lead, I guess, uh, since we're we're basically the same across the board. All right, the main event: UFC two hundred sixty, the heavyweight title, Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. Will this is uh, this is long overdue. I'm super excited about this fight. So these guys fought back in on January 20th, 2018. That was UFC 220, by the way. I'm sure you knew that. Uh, yeah. Unanimous decision <laughs> in favor of Stipe. So since that point, I think Stipe has gone on to become the most accomplished heavyweight in UFC history. Francis loses to Derek Lewis after the Stipe fight. And then from that point on, he's, he's 4-0. He's not been out of the first round. In fact... The longest he's been in the octagon in those four fights, a minute, 11 seconds. 45 seconds against Curtis Blades, 26 seconds against Cain Velasquez, one minute, 11 seconds against JDS, and 20 seconds against Rosenstrike. He's not even been in the octagon for a full three minutes in his last four fights over the course of <laughs> two years. Uh, yeah. Francis, there's never been a guy as athletic I mean, six six four chiseled, all of what two sixty five. I mean, man, like when he hits you, like yeah, uh, I'll never forget that Overeem knockout, man. Like 
he's got scary, scary power, man. And it's to the point where, you know, he doesn't have to be overly skilled, doesn't have to have the greatest technique. If he literally touches you with that power, it's it's Lights a wrap. Out, yeah. And and that's and that's why uh people, despite what happened in the first fight, Francis is a favorite. Yeah. Because at any given time, Francis can land that big that big punch, and then there's nothing that you can do. But there's there's one guy who we've seen take those shots, and it was Stipe. But the question is, the big question is, can Stipe do it again? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. Uh, the answer for me is going to be no. I'm taking Francis Ngannou to be the new and new heavyweight champion of the world. Francis Ngannou. Look, I'll just say this: that fight happened in January of 2018. We're talking about over th- three years have passed since that fight. And I've heard people say that Stipe is a better fighter today than he was when they fought at that point. In fact, Daniel Cormier has fought him three times in, in that time period. And Cormier says that he was better from the first time he fought him to the last time he fought him. He's a, he's a much improved fighter. I also wonder if your chin is as strong as it was back in 2018. And and look, I, I've there's also the... The idea that the Francis Ngannou fight cost Stipe the Cormier fight, right? Like, he had been softened up for Cormier. So, uh, if if Francis hits him this time, I don't think that he wears the punches the same way around. I will also say this, though. If Francis doesn't hit him, I, I have no idea what to expect from Francis if this thing goes beyond a round. Like, do we have any idea what he's going to look like if this thing goes past one round? I... We haven't seen him do it in so long. And, you know, the Derek Lewis fight was complete trash, so I don't even, like, throw that out. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it's going to look like if it goes past a round, but I, I do believe that if this thing goes the distance, I think Stipe probably wins the fight on a scorecard um, just because he's more he's just so much more well-rounded. But I'm, I'm picking Ngannou, and I'm picking the big shot to land, and Francis Ngannou is the new heavyweight champion of the world. Man. I'll say this. Um, in, in, those la- in these last four fights, um, we haven't seen much uh, out of Francis outside of that scary power. But, we, but we, haven't seen, we haven't seen Francis to the point where we think like, okay, he's gotten so much better that I just think like, there's no way that Stipe even has a chance in this. We know, like, what the path to victory is for Francis. We know, we know what the path to victory is for, for Stipe. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Just like how Stipe, how uh, Francis kind of softened up Stipe for DC, and then DC just kind of got him out of there with, with one big punch, what Stipe did to Francis really took a toll on, on, on Francis, on his, on his mental, because when he went out there against Derek Lewis, I don't think he wanted to throw, you know, to pull the trigger because he did, probably didn't want to gas himself out. Right. He didn't want to get knocked out. But that whole thing, like, I feel like Stipe, that, that fight was, was wearing on him in that fight, and he, he ended up losing. So I think when he goes back to the drawing board after that Derek Lewis fight, his corner tells him or his coaches, someone tells him, like, no matter what, you should have to be yourself. Like, I know Stipe did what he did, but you have to, you just have to go out there and be yourself. And then sure enough, he goes out there, he knocks out Blades, knocks out Cain Velasquez, JDS, uh, Rosenstrike. But, I mean, still, 
he's still pretty much the same guy that we saw before um, before Spice Bay the first time. Uh, but you just kind of wonder what he's been working on when he's at the PI, when he's working with uh, Kamaru Usman. Like, my only question is, how is his takedown defense? Because if his takedown defense is good and he keeps it standing, yeah, I think Stipe will probably uh, probably get dropped. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then I, I don't know, like, is Francis going to come out in that first round like he did uh, in the first round against Stipe like he did last time? So, like, <laughs> I'm wondering if Francis is going to go out there and just go crazy like he did. So, I don't know. It's intriguing. Uh, well, you picked Francis to become the new champion. Yep. That's a safe that's a safe pick, I feel like. But you know what, man? I really want to see Steve Amiotis fight John Jones. So I am gonna right. go with Steve Amiotis. I actually don't think it's the safe pick. I think I'm I, I think Stipe is the more well rounded fighter. He's the champion. He's the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. And everyone I've heard pick this fight all week has picked Stipe. So I'm actually going against the grain. Although Nganu is the betting favorite, which is interesting to me because everybody that I've heard pick the fight has picked Stipe, but Francis Nganu is the betting favorite. So I don't know. It's, I I mean, I guess you can look at it from both perspectives. Absolutely. And and even if Francis is the favorite, I don't think that it's by that much. I feel like it's more of a pick fight. But, we have Stipe at plus one hundred, Francis at minus one twenty. Yeah, like that's probably that's as close to a pick'em fight yeah. outside of the actual pick'em that there is. So, yeah. Um, when I say safe bet, I, I mean like we know like Francis could get him out of there with one big punch. Yeah. But the, I feel like Stipe has to do a lot more to beat Francis than Francis does to beat Stipe. Agreed. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. that. One, I would agree with that. But Stipe has to go, and he has to go in his tool bag, into his tool bag, and use a takedown. Dig deep, and, yeah, really yeah. dig deep to uh, get him out of there. So that first round is going to be crazy, though, man. <laughs> my heart is going to be beating out of my chest. Like I'll go back to that uh, Blahovich uh, Izzy fight. Like when that thing started, I, I was like, <gasps> like <laughs> my heart was beating so fast that I like couldn't get air because it was just. There was so much intensity. That's how I'm going to feel about this thing. The UFC main events, man, they'll, they'll do it to you, yeah. man. I tell you. There's nothing uh, like, like it. There's nothing like it. And, like, I tell you, my heart will be beating out of my chest. And it, But especially with a fight like this because Francis, that one shot, and you don't know – and you're anticipating it. So you're literally – the fight starts and, <laughs> and Francis is just kind of, you know – he just—you never know when the explosion. Well, you can't blink. Yeah, you can't blink because if you, you, you did, if you blink. blink one time during his fight, it might be over. It might be over, and you know, you don't know if Francis is gonna blitz him or if he's just gonna be kind of more calculated. But you know, yeah. the explosion is gonna come at any point, and especially when the fight first starts. Man, like I already know my heart's gonna be beating crazy, and, and these are heavyweights. So I mean, I feel like it's gonna be like that anyway. Yeah. But ah. Francis is so scary, man. It's, it's going to be crazy. Any chance this is one of those where both guys just play it super safe and we don't see a lot of engagements? I mean, we, we saw this with Rockich and uh, Tiago Santos recently where neither guy really wanted to to get into the the chaos. Um, you know, Surreal gone and uh, was it 
Rosenstrike? Yes. Yeah, yeah, God and Rosenstrike were both criticized for not ever really getting into that situation. Um, is, I mean, any chance you think we see that? Uh, man, I, I could see it happening, but I just don't I don't think so because, you know, I definitely feel like Stipe will want to react to what Francis is doing. I feel like Stipe will want to take this, like, if, if Francis is going to come at me, I'm going to get him down. But yeah. if Francis is kind of leaning back, like I can, I feel like Stipe will have the mindset of I can kind of pick him apart. But still, if Francis isn't going forward, like how is he winning the fight? Yeah. <laughs> like if Francis isn't isn't engaging and everything, like how is he going to win the fight? So uh, I definitely feel like Francis is going to be pushing the pace and put and um, going forward. But I just don't think he's going to be as wild with it as last time because yeah he fought before he fought Miocic the first time he fought Alistair Overeem and the that was knockout of the year that yeah. crazy knockout yeah. where Alistair was out before he even hit the canvas like <laughs> yeah. that that picture I'll never like that's probably one of the best pictures in MMA history of of, of Overeem's head just snapping back and his eyes are closed like he's out already um but yeah uh, Miocic and, and Ngannou fought right after that. So um, I feel like Francis was, you know, believing in his hype. You know, I can get Stipe out of here and with uh, a couple shots. And he went at him just like that. And Stipe was still there after the first round. And Francis pretty much gassed himself out. And Stipe had his way with him the rest of the fight. So uh, I definitely feel like we'll see Francis uh, push push the pace and try to go forward, but I just don't think he'll be as crazy as he was. If Francis time. decides he's going to approach this to try and go the distance with Stipe, then I think he's probably lost the fight already. Yeah, um, absolutely. So sure. I, I would hate to see him do that. But look, if you take away the Stipe fight and the Derek Lewis fight, his last eight wins in the UFC, 20 seconds, all first rounders, by the way, 20 seconds, a minute 11, 26 seconds, 45 seconds, 142, 132, 157, and 134. No fight over two minutes. No fight over two minutes in his last eight <laughs> wins in the UFC in the heavyweight yeah. division. So, like, yeah, clearly the recipe is go knock him out. If you don't knock him out, then you know what? You're going to have to – you're probably screwed anyway because that's your recipe, period. Like, I, If I were his corner, if I was his coaches, I would just – I would want to be – calculated with it but i would still want i would still want francis to be himself yeah yeah just don't be a fool don't rush in don't do anything crazy but just still be yourself still be that that violent guy that you are but just know that this is the world champion that you're fighting so you have to be a little bit more calculated you have to pick your shots a little bit more smarter than you are but you still have to be yourself um and then just uh, if he can stop the takedowns and don't gas himself out and yeah. still be that predator that he, that he is for more than one round, I feel like Francis has a good chance, but I just feel like Stipe is so good that um, he's going to force Francis to uh, be places that he doesn't want to be. Yeah, I can't wait for this. It's it's going to be awesome. And then look, by the way, waiting in the wings, you mentioned it a second ago, it's just John Jones. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, as soon as this fight ends the new narrative begins with John Jones attached to it. And, you know, Saturday night's going to be wild. Yeah. Uh, and even if Stipe were to lose, I mean, the normal thing that you would do if 
uh, if there's a one-one with Stipe winning one, Francis winning one, you have the trilogy fight. That's that's out the window. Like I don't think anyone's gonna care. Like if Stipe loses, like no one's even gonna remember Stipe. They're automatically gonna be thinking about John Jones. And just the the thought of Francis and Ganu and John Jones, especially if Francis beats Stipe, then you you bring in probably the the greatest fighter of all time against the scariest knockout artist outside of Derek Lewis. Yeah, that's that's probably debatable, but um, you bring those two together. And we know, like, we've seen John fight a lot of guys. So we, what we've always wanted to see him fight that guy who's just got that scary knockout power to where if he gets touched, he's going he's gonna to drop. I got something for you, though. Okay. In Ganu, Stipe, three. And then you give Derek Lewis, John Jones. In the meantime. Ooh. I, I man... But does does man does UFC do that though? You don't think Derek Lewis John I, Jones would be a massive draw? No, no. For me, take my money. Yeah, I would love to see that fight. But then I'm I think Derek like, Lewis has has become one of those guys whose name is you know supersedes like just the the guys like us. I think the casuals. Like here, Derek Lewis is fighting, and they're they're paying attention. So, Derek Lewis, John Jones, I think would be a massive mega fight. Like you could do that on pay per view as a main event without a belt on the line, and I think it's it's a massive draw. Yeah, I mean, if the UFC is willing to make John Jones's first fight at heavyweight, not for the title, sign me up for John Jones, Derek Lewis, yeah. because that's easily. Um, the most dangerous fight for John outside of those two guys fighting for the title. And then we know what Derek is going to bring to the table. And then I think that's a perfect first fight for him. Yeah. But I, I really want to see Stipe and John. Though, man. Yeah. Like the heavyweight goat versus the MMA goat, like just legacy fight. I really want to see that fight. But I mean, I would rather, I would rather, honestly, I'd rather see Nganu John Jones if I'm being honest. Yeah. But yeah, I would rather see I'd rather see uh, Nganu and John. But for this, at the same time, I, I'm really scared for John if he goes there with with Francis or Derek Lewis. Man, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared for him, man. Jeez, the fanboy's coming out right now. The fanboy is coming yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. John, hey, yeah. John's <laughs> my guy, man. Look, when I first started watching the sport, like all my friends had their favorite fighters. Yeah, like. You had your Brock Lesnar's and your Anderson Silva's. But I watched John Jones for the first time, and I was like, hey, who is this guy? You know, he's got the kicks, and he wrestles and all this stuff. He's doing spinning shit and flying shit. Like, talking okay, shit. I'm rock with John. Yeah, talking yeah. shit, too, taking steroids. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as soon as I saw him, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll rock with him. And John hasn't lost. So, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. But, yeah. It'll be it'll be good to see, man. I can't wait for Saturday. UFC 260, Saturday night. Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title. That is your main event. All right, buddy. It was fun. We covered a lot of ground. There was a lot that uh, has taken place in the last week. Uh, look, next week we're going to have probably just as long a conversation. I mean, just what we talked about just now. I think when 
you know, the dust kind of settles and we have a clearer picture of what that looks like, that's going to warrant a lot of conversation. So uh, it was fun. Always appreciate you. And uh, good luck on Saturday. <laughs> My brother, man. Good, <laughs> good luck on Saturday. Um, I hope you lose. But good <laughs> Thank luck. You. Thank you. Well, then, I, you know what? Then I'll pick first and uh, or second and I'll be happy. So no, pr- no pressure when you're picking second. Yeah, no, no pressure, but, hey, I feel like I was a lot more calculated with my picks, um, and I feel like Tyron Woodley's going to be – he's going to give me that uh, that boost. And it's only going to be fitting that after Tyron Woodley looks like shit for the last three fights, <laughs> he, <laughs> he, comes, he comes and he saves the day and gives me the lead. So, yeah, it's going to be a great story. Uh, I can't wait I'm just glad I started this show. this uh, episode the way I started it because it, it <laughs> led you to picking Tyron Woodley, and I'm totally okay with that. So, and I and I can't wait <laughs> till for next week after Tyron gives me the gives me the lead. I'm going to lead the show off with probably a poster of Tyron All Woodley, right. <laughs> and I'm going to be having the score over here with my one point uh, in the lead, talking my shit. I just remember when you sent me the text, damn it, Misha. I feel like I feel like there's gonna be a damn it, T Wood. So, oh yeah. If T if T Wood loses and looks bad like he has been, it's gonna be worse than a damn it Misha or a damn it T Wood. <laughs> there's gonna be a lot there's gonna be a lot more uh, cu- uh cuss words in it's gonna there, be a so. ki- it's gonna be an end of the kingdom type rant. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'll have a meltdown. I might I might save it for the next uh the next pod i might well, just open with the meltdown we might just have to we, we might just have to fire it up that night i'm hey i'm always so you don't down, have man. to sit on it so all right all right buddy i appreciate you man uh we'll catch up on saturday all right my brother have a good one that is will brewer joining me on the colby daniels podcast presented by artisan botanicals in midwest city check out their line of natural medicine products including kratom cbd and delta 8 if you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits Educate yourself or give Artisan Botanicals a call. They have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% off your order when you order online. So visit abotanicalcompany.com, place your order, use the discount code COLBYSHOW, and you save 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com, Artisan Botanicals. Everybody, have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.